Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Chapter 12, we've kind of looked at this a little bit. Satan as an enemy of Israel. We have the woman, which is Israel, the child, which is the Lord Jesus. He's seen in chapter 12 to be the red dragon. Red, probably because of the blood. Dragon, that's his true nature. He, he poses as an angel of light. He makes it look like he's good, but when you really strip away the facade, he's a dragon. He's evil. He hates. Well, we saw that he takes one-third of the angels with him. These are the fallen angels. These are his armies, if you will, the demons. He unsuccessfully attempts to kill the child, which the woman gives birth to, meaning Christ. And we saw that in Herod and the different ways in which he went about trying to kill Jesus when he walked on this earth to keep him from the cross, I believe. And he also wages war with Michael and the, the good angels. We looked at Daniel and how some of those pictures as Daniel began to pray and God sent an angel to him to give him a message and let him know what's going on and all the different uh, spiritual warfare that's going on around us. It's, it's really remarkable, folks. We can walk through our days and we can walk through things filling, filling our minds and filling our time with the material. And the truth of the matter is the greater reality is the spiritual. And the question is, how is God calling us in to following him in a new and fresh and perhaps deeper way so that through us his life would be proclaimed to people all around us who don't know him. Well, when we look at this in Revelation chapter 12 and we start in chapter 10, our adversary does seek to devour. Yet God's victory is sure. And in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, we have the Lord's victory announced. And I I think this is so beautiful because, folks, this is something that we begin to look at, and some of it's chronological, but there's a picture here of prior to Satan being fully defeated, the announcement that the Lord is victorious. And think about that. When we look around today and we look at all the things that are taking place and we start getting concerned and wondering what's going on and we start looking up and wondering when the Lord's going to return and we wonder when this tribulation is even going to impact and when it's going to take place, all those different things that have to happen and and we kind of look at scripture and we start wondering what's going on, how's this going to work? Understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to bring an end to these things and that prior to perhaps even some of them coming to fruition or even coming to an end, he rules, he reigns. We can bank on that. When you and I yield to the Lord Jesus Christ from our hearts, he rules and reigns in our hearts and as a result, he begins to rule and reign here on this earth. One day, he's going to physically rule and reign from Jerusalem and he's going to rule this whole earth. Thank God for it. He says this in verse 10, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He accuses them before our God day and night. What an interesting moment. Here's the accuser of the brethren, meaning Satan, our adversary, being thrown down. He who accuses is constantly coming against the brethren, meaning those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. In this particular passage, I believe that he's talking about Israel, but it's certainly true of us. He certainly is accusing us, and the Lord Jesus Christ is our defense. 
And it's not because of our goodness, it's because of God's goodness, it's because of what Christ did for us, that he's able to defend us. When we talk about when this happens and the timing of these things, he says, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Now the salvation. What an interesting perspective. It means to begin to be, have come. At this moment in time, this has begun. This has started. We're about to see how Satan is thrown down to earth. And he knows that his time is short and his wrath is great as a result of it. I believe this is taking place in the middle of the trip. We have the three and a half years to go through where the bowls are being poured out. Israel is protected and rescued. We're going to see part of that in this particular passage. But in the midst of it, we have this idea that the authority of his Christ has come, meaning it's begun. It has started. Why? Because the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. See, the power of Satan is being broken here. The power of Satan to do what he does, is being exposed as being weak. And the Lord Jesus Christ is strong. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who is sovereign and he's over all. And he is ruling and reigning. And as a result, when you see Satan being thrown down, you know that this has begun. The time now is short. Why? Because the last three and a half years are about to be completed and the Lord Jesus Christ is going to put an end to this. What a beautiful picture that is. What a beautiful truth. So not only is the Lord's victory announced, but in verse 11, we can overcome because of Christ's victory where? At the cross. In verse 11, he says, they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb. And because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. That word overcome or overcame is what we get the word Nike from. It's it's the idea of victory. They had victory. Why did they have victory? Because by the means of through the blood of the Lamb and through the word of their testimony. It's not because of our good works. It's not because of their good works. It's because of what Christ did for us. And by believing in him, being covered, being indwelt, being strengthened by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Why can we overcome? Is it because of how strong we are? Is it because of how much we understand or know? Or is it because we're trying to do the right thing? No, no, no. It's because of the blood of the lamb. It's because of what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross. When we believe in him and God comes to live in us, we get to walk in the victory that he accomplished on our behalf. What a beautiful truth. It's not us trying to overcome in the sense of us trying to get victory. It's us walking in the victory that the Lord Jesus Christ has already accomplished. I love the fact that they did not love their life even when faced with death. Wow. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? They had a heavenly perspective. They knew where they were headed. I love that story about the lady in Chicago years ago, walking down the street, and somebody came and pulled a gun on her, told her to empty out her purse. (laughs) And this lady looked at this mugger, robber, and said, 
sudden death, instant glory. And the robber looked at her and said, empty your purse. Give me all you got. She said, sudden death, instant glory. And what happened? This guy was so freaked out, he started running. Lady chasing him down. (laughs) Sudden death, instant glory. (laughs) She led the guy to Christ. Are you kidding me? See, when we're faced with things like this, what, what is our heavenly perspective? What is it that we're looking at? How are we viewing life? Are we so invested in the material that we don't understand that the eternal, the spiritual, is actually greater? I don't know how I would react in circumstances like that. I, I mean, these people are going through horrific things. They believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they overcame. They walked in the victory that had been provided for them. How? By the means of the cross, by the means of the blood of Christ, and the word of their testimony of salvation being in Christ by grace through faith, and that they are assured of heaven, and as a result, they love what they're going towards more than what they got. Think about that. Do we? How invested are we in the things of this world that we've forgotten where we're headed in our heavenly home? Well, we can overcome because of Christ's victory at the cross, and we can also rejoice because Satan's defeat is assured. In verse 12, he says, For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea because of the devil, or because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that he only has a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, speaking again of Israel. The first thing we see is the persecution of the Jews. He's constantly, Satan is constantly coming against the Jewish people. It's, it's remarkable. You look at their history, and it's indescribable. The persecution, uh, the anti-Semitism that's taken place throughout history is indescribable. Here, Satan recognizes he's been banned from heaven. It's an interesting statement here. He says uh, that he saw, he saw, that when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he recognized something. He understood that he had been banned from heaven, and he therefore intensifies his efforts against Israel. It appears that he had been thrown down before. In other words, when he, when he lifted himself up and wanted to be like the most high, that he was thrown down. But he still, at that point, had not been banned from heaven. And you can see that in Job chapter 1, verse 6, where he was coming before God with the other angels, and they were called sons of God. He was coming before God, and he was, he was giving a report, and the Lord looks at him and says, Have you recognized my servant Job? But now we're at the end. Now the time is short. And Satan recognizes that he has been thrown down. He's been banned from even entering in to heaven. It's interesting because Jesus spoke of this in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, and he very well may have been speaking of uh, Satan being cast from heaven. He's talking to the disciples. He had sent out the 72. They had had all kinds of amazing things taking place. They were given power to cast out demons and to heal. And they came back and gave a report to the Lord. And one of the things he says to them is, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. 
interesting statement. Now, he could have been referring back into time past when Satan raised up uh, and tried to become like the Most High, and he was therefore kicked out along with a third of the, the angels. Perhaps he was looking at uh, something in the future that he was referring to. Most likely, in any effect, he was referring to the fact uh, that Satan's power had been broken and that Jesus had authority over him. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 and following, there's a reference here, and I believe this is referring to Satan himself, and again, the idea of him being cast from heaven in time past. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, meaning the angels, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, listen to this, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit." There's coming a day where he's going to be bound and he's going to be chained for a thousand years and he's going to be placed into the pit. And the only time he's going to be released is at the end of the millennium. And then he's going to literally be captured in such a way that he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire forever. See, Satan can think that he has lifted himself up. But the truth of the matter is the Lord Jesus Christ reigns. And when the Lord said he was watching Satan from, fall from heaven, he may have very well been referring to this moment in Isaiah chapter 14 because Jesus is the I am. He's the eternal existent one. But we know in Revelation that he's talking about a moment where he's going to even be banned from heaven because his time is short. He's going to be cast down to the earth and Satan recognizes this and understands and as a result, his wrath is great because his time is short and he begins to persecute Israel with even more fervor. Matthew 24, 15 and following speak to that. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, again, that's at the middle of the tribulation, which is, I believe, what Revelation 12 is giving us a bit of a picture about. When you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever's on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever's in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath for then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. I believe what the Lord's talking about there is the last three and a half years of the tribulation. He's talking to the disciples who are Jewish, and he's giving them insight about what Israel's going to go through during this period of time. Israel, or excuse me, Satan is cast out of heaven, and as a result, he knows that his time is short, and this last three and a half years is about to take place. The abomination of desolation at the middle of the tribulation is going to take place, and what are they told to do? When they see this, they are to flee. They are to leave Jerusalem and go into the wilderness, because that's how they're going to be protected. Satan's going to come after them, and we see that. Behavior by Satan, that's exactly what he does. He goes and he tries to persecute Israel even more. But Israel's given wings to flee. 
In verse 14, it says, But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent, meaning Satan, the devil. That's a three-and-a-half-year period of time. They, they see the abomination of desolation take place. The Lord told them in Matthew, get out here. What we're seeing is that Satan has been banned from heaven. He's thrown down to the earth. He knows that his time is short, and as a result, he intensifies his persecution on the Jews. But God is with them, and he gives them two wings of the great eagle in order to flee. Now, contextually, folks, right? I would love to believe that this is the U.S. Air Force. <laughs> I think Tim would too, and all of you who served in the Air Force. <laughs> uh, but contextually, I do not believe this is the U.S. Air Force helping Israel flee into the wilderness, okay? That has actually been written. People actually have said that. The picture is of divine protection. The picture is of divine enablement helping Israel escape into the wilderness for protection from the Antichrist and also that they will be nourished by God while there. What an amazing truth. How the Lord is so sovereign in these things. How he's capable of accomplishing his purpose. Perhaps this is Petra. This may be Petra that they flee to. You ever been to Petra? Fascinating place. If you've ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you've seen some of the pictures of Petra. But walking through that narrow crack in all this rock and getting in, suddenly seeing all this, it's amazing. Maybe it's Petra that the Lord has them go to and they're able to, to live there and be nourished. The picture of salvation from the Lord is not a new one. Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 and following state this, Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. The picture here is of divine protection, of divine enablement to help them get into a place where they will be divinely protected. As they flee and as they go to this place in verse 15, of Revelation states this, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. Satan's not satisfied. He recognizes that they're fleeing. The abomination of desolation is taking place. Israel's now fleeing and they are being divinely protected, but he still tries to go after them. And it gives us this picture of a serpent pouring water like a river out of his mouth. Fruchtenbaum suggests this is an army coming against Israel from all the nations. At this point, the Antichrist is in charge of the nations, and so there's a, perhaps an army that comes against Israel, and it is such a massive army that it's like water. It's like a flood coming after them. The Antichrist is certainly in a position to command this army and to come against Israel. He's in control of not only the world government, but he's also in control of Jerusalem. And as a result, he comes after them. Walverd states this about this particular passage. He says, whether the exact meaning of these two verses can be determined with certainty, the implication 
is that Satan strives with all his power to persecute and exterminate the people of Israel. By divine intervention, both natural and supernatural means are used to circumvent this program and to carry a remnant of Israel safely through their time of great tribulation. Wow, Satan's constantly coming again. He knows he's cast down, he's banned from heaven, his time is short, and he immediately begins to come after Israel in a concerted effort that God protects them. And you know, one of the beautiful truths of Scripture is that God constantly is frustrating Satan's plans. Constantly frustrating Satan's plans. Thwarting his plans. Why? Because greater is he than it is in us than he that is in the world. Think about that. God's divine protection, we can see in this passage, is through the earth. And in verse 16, it says, The earth helped the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. Maybe this was an earthquake of some sort. We saw what happened to the Egyptian army when they were coming after Israel. And how they tried to go into the Red Sea and the Red Sea collapsed over them. God's used different means in the past in order to protect Israel. Here, again, the point is that he's protecting Israel in spite of Satan's efforts in order to persecute Israel, to wipe out Israel, to exterminate Israel. God is constantly frustrating Satan's plans. Don't ever, don't ever think that Satan has victory, folks. That's a lie from the pit. Jesus Christ is victorious. Satan's power has been broken at the cross He's going to be cast out of heaven. He's going to be banned from heaven. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign uh, in spite of Satan. Well, Satan's rage leads to God's victories. You know, it's always interesting to me to watch Satan because he's always trying to thwart God's plans and he never is able to do it. And the more angry he gets and the more he tries to strive against God's will and God's plans, the more victorious God is revealed to be. I mean, obviously at the cross, but clearly through all of this as well. In verse 17, so the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandment of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. He, he's not satisfied. He, I mean, good grief, he gets stopped from going after those who escaped from Jerusalem, stopped dead in his tracks. His army evidently is wiped out. And as a result, what does he do? He's enraged with the woman even more. Listen, folks, the more Satan gets angry the more God simply is revealed to be victorious because Satan cannot overcome the things of God. That's why he says the church, <laughs> this is his church. This is his body. He grows it and the gates of hell absolutely will not overcome it. We can trust the Lord Jesus Christ to walk with us day by day in our own personal lives and corporately within the body of Christ that no matter what goes on around us, no matter how it seems like Satan is going to thwart God's purposes, the more angry Satan gets, the more he comes against God's purposes, the more victorious God is revealed to be. It's incredible. I like what the Bible Knowledge Commentary says about this. Zechariah 13 verses 8 through 9. 
probably will see its final and complete fulfillment in Israel's dispersion in the tribulation. And at that time, two-thirds of the Jewish nation will be struck down and perished, but the surviving remnant will be restored, at least for the most part, to their covenant relationship with the Lord. We know that the 144,000 Jewish men have been sealed. They're protected through all of this. They're probably part of those who flee from Jerusalem and are maybe in Petra along with the other uh, Israeli people, the Jewish people. And there are many of those who will be nourished and protected and turn to the Lord, and the Lord saves them. We'll see that at Armageddon when the Lord returns physically in order to rescue his people. Folks, what a beautiful picture chapter 12 is of God's sovereignty. You know, I don't know why the Lord's allowed Satan to do certain things. I'm not sure why things like uh, what has happened to Bill and Katie McCulloch's granddaughter take place. I don't know why the Lord allows that. But I know God, and I know that he's good. And I don't know his mind fully, and I don't understand all the plans that he has, and I don't understand why there's evil, and I don't understand sometimes why there's suffering, but I know that the, that the Lord went to the cross and he died a brutal, horrific death so that when we believe in him, we can have everlasting life. And one day, when we're with him, we're going to see this as he sees it. We're going to see this story unveiled. We're going to see this whole thing brought about, and he will have the victory. Praise God. Amen? That's the point. There's some things that are not new under the sun, folks. And let me give you several things that are so pertinent to us today. And though Satan's fall is sure he is our adversary, and we must be careful to walk in God's strength. So many times we think of what we can do for God, and it's not what we can do for God. It's what God has done, is able to do in and through us. And what a beautiful truth that is, because we're strengthened in the very inner man. One of the first things we need to understand is that Satan is our adversary, and that word Satan literally means adversary. He's the one that <laughs> he stands against us. Listen, if you're, if you're doing all that you can to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and walk with him by faith, to get into the word of God, to be in prayer. I want to tell you something. Your adversary is going to come against you. I've heard people say when they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ that things are going to get better, things are going to get easier. And I'm going to tell you something, friend. It may not be that way. You, you may actually find yourself in a deeper mess than what you were before. The difference is that Jesus lives in you and you're going to have joy in it. When you yield to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to experience his peace. You're going to experience his love. You're going to experience his grace. And you're going to have your mind renewed as you get into the word of God. And all of a sudden, you're going to be able to see those trials and those tribulations for what they really are. Tools in the Father's hands in order to help you become what he wants you to become for eternity. Praise God. See, we tend to think that if I just, if I just pray a prayer, I'm, man, everything's going to get fixed. Wow. I don't know about that. In fact, I think what we find in Scripture is the Lord actually uses trials in order to drive us to the cross so that we learn to depend upon him because he's working from the inside out. He wants to renew us. He wants to change us and metamorphosize us and conform us to the very image of Christ. Well, secondly, Satan hates God and God's people. 
no matter what age we're speaking of, Israel or the church. Understand that. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the prince of the power of the air. And he's in dominion over all of those who are children of the wrath, which, by the way, we were at one point under his power. If you're a believer today, you're no longer under the prince of the power of the air. You're under the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's your father. But Ephesians 2 makes it very clear that that's what we used to be. And I want to tell you something. There's a whole lot of people that still are. You don't have to watch the news very long to figure that one out. There's all kinds of examples of that being just (laughs) put into our face. Well, thirdly, he's a liar. He's a liar. John chapter 8, verse 44 says, you, you are of your father, the devil. This is the Lord speaking, and he's talking about the Pharisees. He says, you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan's a liar. All this angel of light stuff, all this good works baloney that we see in religion, all this stuff of how you can make your life better by just doing 10-step kind of nonsense. Hey, friends, some of those 10-step things may be good, but if you don't have Christ in you and if you're not walking by his power, I'm going to tell you something. All it's going to do is make you spiritually proud. You're going to be worse off than when you started. That's the truth. We need Christ and we need the Lord because Satan and everything that he is about is a lie and he seeks to deceive not only the individuals who have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, he seeks to deceive believers to get us off track, to get, us off, get our eyes on the wrong things. Acts chapter 26 verse 18, this is such an interesting statement that Paul gives about what the Lord's calling for him is. He says to open their eyes. What's Paul being called to? He's being called as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ to proclaim the gospel. Why? To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Wow, what a beautiful truth. What is Satan seeking to do? (laughs) He wants to deceive people. He wants to tell them the gospel isn't necessary. It's a good story, but it's myth, and it doesn't have any power in your life, and it really won't work for you. What Jesus said really isn't true. And by the way, who would ever believe in the resurrection? What a crazy story that is. God's word? Oh, it's ancient. It's not relevant for today. Nonsense. Of course it's relevant for today. When we talk about God's word, it's eternal. It's God's word. And as a a result, it's relevant in everything we do. In the midst of this, Satan is a liar. And he also seeks to deceive people about Christ and the gospel. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came. Here's, Here's the contrast, right? I came. Jesus came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Think about that. Satan tells us these lies. Jesus is telling us the truth. Satan seeks to destroy. Jesus laid down his life so that we could have life. Gave us his life. Think about that. Well, fifth, we walk in Christ. We walk in his armor, his life. And the way we engage in spiritual warfare is through prayer. Ephesians chapter 6, 
verses 10 and 12, he says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He doesn't say be strong in the Lord by your strength, by doing a whole bunch of things or by gaining even more knowledge. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God, meaning clothe yourself with the full armor of God. And by the way, in the context of Ephesians, and certainly as you look back in Romans, the idea of clothing yourself is literally clothe yourself with Christ. How do you do that? You trust him, you believe in him, you walk with him day by day. Here the armor is just a picture of Christ who is our protection. What's the, what's the result? So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. (laughs) There's a lot to say on that. Folks, we have an adversary. His name is Satan, but he's a defeated foe. And we can be strong and we can walk in the strength of the Lord's power and the Lord's might. And we can be protected by the truth of God. Ephesians 6.18, how do we engage? We do it by prayer. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition, meaning making specific requests for all the saints. What a beautiful truth. How do we pray? I think we get our faces before God. We certainly pray from our heart. And we begin to lift up the glory of God. We lift up the truth of God. We lift up the reality of who he is. James says when you submit to God, Satan will flee from you. <laughs> Why? Because he can't stand in the presence of God. Well, lastly, the strength of God actually protects us. How does he do that? Physically? Well, there's times where people are called to give their lives for Christ. But I would suggest that we're talking about our belief system. We're talking about who Christ is. And we're talking about the fact that Jesus Christ went to the cross on our behalf. And the recognition that we are his children. That we are beloved of him no matter what the world says. No matter what our circumstances may indicate. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 3 says, The Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Does that mean that evil things won't happen in your life? No. What he's saying is he will strengthen and protect you in the midst of it. And maybe you come under attack. Maybe you go through difficult, dark circumstances. You may even give your life for Christ. But in the midst of that, understand that God is there as our source of strength. God is there to protect our minds and what we believe and to remind us that he's in control and that we're beloved of God. Folks, Satan is a defeated foe. His time is coming quickly. At that moment in the tribulation, his wrath will be great And I believe even today we're seeing an increase in intensity of demonic oppression all through our land, certainly throughout this world. I believe more believers are being killed and martyred for the faith today than ever before in the history of the world. Think about that. My goodness, how are we walking with the Lord? How are we being strengthened with his power and by his might? How are we standing in Christ 
no matter what the circumstance may be. What's God doing in your life? What circumstances are you going through that perhaps you're frustrated by, you don't understand what's going on, it's chaotic, it's confusing, and you just need to run back to the Lord and be reminded that the Lord Jesus Christ is sovereign, that he's holy, that he's righteous, that he's good, that he's the shepherd, that he wants to watch over and will watch over you, yield to him in the midst of it and experience his life afresh and the goodness of who he is. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 